podcast one production. From autonomous vehicles driving us around, to eating insects at the dinner table, to robots taking over our homes, there are so many big questions hanging over our future. But perhaps there is none bigger than with all of our innovations and with all of our technology, have we done enough to save the planet? Hi, I'm Claire Marshall. And I'm Reese Proudfoot. And welcome to the last episode of the Greenhouse Sessions event series, presented by WWF's Panda Labs and recorded live at the CBA Innovation Lab in March of 2019. In the previous five Greenhouse Session events, we've asked some pretty big questions. Like, should we turn the decision-making over to robots? Will we all be eating insects? Can we create a world without waste? Will our homes control us? And will our children ever learn to drive? But perhaps the biggest and most important question is, will we even have a planet fit for living on? It's a good question. Pretty big. So in this episode, we're going to explore what 2050 might actually look like if we get things right. So this is one for the futurist nerds out there. Super interesting. But we're also going to have a look at what might happen if we get things wrong. We know the risks of doing nothing. They're pretty significant. You just have to turn the news on every day to see what could play out. But we have some huge and exciting opportunities to transform the way that we live and work as well, Claire. And and the bottom line is that we have to embrace innovation and we have to be focusing on creating societies that are fairer and more sustainable and more just and taking advantage of all these amazing opportunities out there with emerging technologies. We certainly do. And it's a big topic for our last episode. So we decided to have a little bit of fun. Instead of our usual panel discussion, we are going to be playing for the planet in a special game show centred around 2050. Our expert guests, who are now contestants, are City of Sydney Councillor Jess Scully, WWF Head of Sustainable Food Josh Bishop, Nick Moratus from Australian Progress, Futurist Ross Dawson, data ethicist Teresa Anderson and New South Wales Australian of the Year John D. That is one awesome panel. Isn't it? I'm so excited. But before we get into all the fun, let's set the scene. This time, instead of a story from the future, we're going to have a letter from the present, read to you by Australian acting legend John Howard. Oh, thank you, Claire. Thank you, Dermot. Now I'm, like, I'm in my accustomed um, physical mode, <laughs> i.e. resting. <laughs> Brilliant to, have, to be here and I'm, I'm really delighted and I'm, I'm sure you're even more delighted that I'm here. <laughs> so here's, here's, a, um, here's a little letter from a father to a son. Dear son... I can't believe that at 9am tomorrow, or so the doctor predicts, the next member of our family will be born. For a fraction of a second, she'll be the newest person on the planet, joining the other 8 billion of us. Tomorrow you'll be a dad. Oh, shit. I'll be a granddad. (laughs) Well, the good news is I already know you'll be a great dad, not just because uh, you have a great dad, but because... You're a great son. Now, I don't mean to be a know-all, but uh, if you're going to be a good dad, you've got to be a lot of things. A guide, a comforter, even a teacher and a coach. But if I had to pick the most important role of many important roles, it's the fighter. Because the world she'll inherit 
is going to be a tough place, a tough place. The world I grew up in is so completely different from yours and probably light years away from the world in which my granddaughter will grow up. She'll no doubt be shocked to know that Grandpa remembers a time without the internet or mobile phones and even a time we used, and uh, no doubt she'll have to Google this term, cassette tapes. Oh, yeah, I'm ancient, I'm ancient. The world certainly changes quickly. I can barely imagine the drastically different shape your daughter's world will take. There's certainly a lot of talk about robots and artificial intelligence, and I wonder, in her future, will we have turned the decision-making over to them? Will the robots have taken all our jobs? And if they have, what will that mean for us? for our sense of purpose. It may sound a bit alarmist, but I, I genuinely hope that we, as a species, aren't too quick to trust robotic technology. After all, I've heard that artificial intelligence is created by humans with human flaws and human biases and therefore sometimes human stupidity. I hope I taught you strong enough ethics and that you will in turn teach her that everyone deserves a fair go and that politicians or corporations, even robots or artificial intelligence, basically whoever is making the decisions should not be allowed to ignore that basic right. If they do happen to turn a blind eye, us parents of the world will remind them, we will remind them and keep reminding them until we never have to remind them again. I find them... I find the news a bit gloomy these days with all these reports of the destruction of our rivers and waterways. I hope she lives in a world where food is still food. But maybe, given how things are going, we'll all be eating insects or even meat grown in a laboratory. Maybe you'll be serving her crickets and couscous or a 3D-printed birthday cake. I don't know, my son, I don't know. But I do know that we need to keep fighting to save our artesian basins. Because if we don't stop companies from buying out water rights and leaving sea creatures and rivers systems to die, then any practical parenting advice I can give you will be redundant because we won't have anything to eat. So stay on it, son. Sadly, I also can't help but worry about the state in which my generation will leave the planet for you and for her. Will the streets be blanketed in rubbish and flooded with toxic chemicals or... Will we be intelligent and forward-thinking enough to create a world without waste? I certainly hope we'll soon solve Australia's recycling crisis. I hope for all the chatter that we get around to introducing a ban on single-use plastics. But I hope more than anything that we all realise that enough is the perfect amount. Enough is perfect. Unfortunately, a seemingly endless list of changes need to be made for any of this to happen. I know that initially it'll seem overwhelming. Your tiny child will come into a world oversaturated with advertising and even worse, a world where that advertising knows who you are, where you are and everything about you. So be careful, son. I hope you'll instill in her a deep understanding and appreciation of what goes into making each and everything that it's more than just the sticker price. It's the water, it's the energy, it's the labour, it's the true cost. 
not the $5.99 we pay at the end result. And in turn, I promise to try my hardest as an old sot. Oh, sorry, that should read old sod. <laughs> I meant that. I promise my hardest not to spoil her too much or to spoil her with toys, but rather with experiences. Yep. Spoiler with experiences. If I'm allowed to dream for a moment, I hope your daughter grows up in a world that's eventually powered by renewable energy and only by renewable energy. With all the newfangled technology and the smart this and smart that, I'm not sure if we're going to end up controlling our homes or if they will be controlling us. But it does certainly seem like we're going to need to change the way we think about power. That power needs to come from the sun, not from the ground. That power from the sun. So promise me you won't let up that the jokers with their outdated views who dare to entertain the idea of polluting the earth with more fossil fuels will end up a laughing stock, or even better, made fully accountable by her generation. As I ponder tomorrow with your mum and I piling in the car to come and visit, I know her world will be different. I mean... Will you ever need to teach your daughter to drive? My time teaching you to drive wasn't exactly the definition of a relaxing experience. <laughs> so in a way, I do hope her world is be, will be filled with super-fast trains and self-driving cars. But a part of me worries she'll end up stuck within the same ridiculous infrastructure built for cars and not for the future. So, son, it's up to you to fight to make sure everybody remembers that we all need trees more than we need roads, no matter who is or isn't behind the wheel. Above all else, remember that life is about connection. It's about the people around you, your community. If you need to fight for what's right for her, don't do it alone. Find your people, grow together and fight together for the best possible future that you can imagine. Uh, well, I, I've probably ranted long enough in this letter. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind that you'll be a fantastic father because you're a fantastic son and because you genuinely care for what is right. Oh, the last piece of advice, um, don't be too hard on yourself. Sometimes you'll lose, sometimes you'll win. But with every choice you make, as long as you have your daughter, my granddaughter, in your heart... You can't go wrong. Lots of love, Dad. <laughs> food, food. All right. Now, we all know this is our last event and uh, rather than have our usual panel discussion, I've sort of decided that we should do something a little bit fun. Also, I think secretly maybe I always wanted to be a game show host somewhere. So tonight we're going to indulge that fantasy and we're going to be playing our own Greenhouse Sessions game show. So everybody, welcome to Playing for the Planet. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to move this. Okay. All right. So... Our first guest, so we have two teams tonight. We have Team Tech and Team Human. Our first guest tonight representing innovation on playing for the planet is futurist Ross Dawson. 
So, uh, so Ross, you've predicted a great many things in your time. Will we save the planet? It's up to us. <laughs> it uh, depends entirely on what we do now, whether we save the planet. That was, that was, a, that was a bit of a mean question to start off with. Um, but why, you're representing innovation on team technology today. Why is innovation really important to make big change happen? The world's changing, so we need to keep on renewing ourselves, ourselves as individuals, as society, as organisations. If we keep on doing what we've done in the past, we're, we've obviously been on the wrong trajectory for quite a while and in a few domains, so we have to do things new, new ways, new, better ways. And the one unquenchable resource we have is ideas. And so that's where we can come up with new ways to do things better. And all of us in the room, we have. And I think that's all what we can do is to be able to create ideas, spark off this. And those are the ideas for the things that we can do better to be able to live better lives, to be able to create a better society, to be able to save our planet. Good answer. All right, our first guest on the other side, representing Team Human and representing government on Team Human, is City of Sydney Councillor Jess Scully. So Jess, as a politician, you seem pretty cool. What's up with that? <laughs> no, I'm just joking, I'm joking. Why is government in a prime position to create really meaningful change? Well, the thing is, government's made up of people. And there's this fabulous uh, concept that comes from an Irish philosopher and politician, Edmund Burke. And Edmund Burke said that society and the social contract isn't just a negotiation between different groups. It's a negotiation and a contract across generations. And that's the thing that we're forgetting today. And that's the thing pretty much all of our governments have sort of lost sight uh, about as they debate and, 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 and sort of try and appease this marginal seat and that voter group and, you know, this cause or the other, is actually our biggest responsibility is the planet that we hand on uh, and the society that we pass down. So that's where things are going wrong. But the good news is we are the people who are in a position to change that. Uh, and we just got to hold our governments to account and make sure they actually represent what we care about. Good job. Yeah, clap for that. Clap for that. <laughs> Our second guest on Team Technology is a woman representing big data everywhere. She is currently directing training and education for ethics uh, for ethics for AI and automated decision making. Dr. Teresa Anderson. So, Teresa, why is data changing our world so rapidly and are you guys going to win because you've got artificial intelligence? Well, I have to say, um, given the way that humans have been working to this point, no disrespect, but um, I'll just say Trump and Brexit, um, I'm not so sure that... Uh, anything could do better. Um, but on a serious note, I, I do think technology has been coming to the aid of humans for a long, long time. Uh, you think about the wheel, think about a number of other things um, that humans could just not do without some sort of tech. Uh, and I like to think not so much of artificial intelligence as augmented intelligence, and to reckon that we're gonna show that, you know, without a little bit of AI, we're really stuffed. Cool, cool. 
All right, our second guest uh, representing Team Human and representing community is actually a sub-in, so everyone be really, really nice to him. He kind of, um, when one of our guests pulled out for health reasons, um, he kind of stepped in. So is Nick Moriartis from Australian Progress. So Nick, people, sometimes great, sometimes not They're great. They're pretty good. Right? Well, they are, they're always great. I just think about the renewed energy and the climate debate from the school strikers over the last couple of months. It's been amazing. You know, school where, kids great. Where school kids go, politicians follow is my motto. Um, it's fantastic. I think we really, um, you know, we really um, uh, have to think about how change has happened in the past. I mean, if we had, um, if William Wilberforce had left it to the East India Company, we'd still have slavery. You know, if Martin Luther King had left it to Pepsi uh, to solve the civil rights issue, we'd still have civil rights problems. You know, I think if Bob Brown had left it to the tourism industry to solve the Franklin Dam problem, it'd be damned. I mean, basically, that's how change happens. But I think one other important point is this is a huge issue that we all, um, that humans have to solve. And I think we want to be part of it. Like in his, in, when we look back at this moment in, for, from the vantage point of the future, we want to say we didn't leave it to AI uh, to solve the biggest challenge facing our planet. Thanks. Great. Trash talking the other team already. I love it. Good job. That's my mission. <laughs> All right. Okay, so our final guest for Team Technology representing business is former New South Wales Australian of the Year, founder of Planet Arc and Do Something Foundation and energy transition leader at Arup, John D. So, John, apart from being an overachiever, obviously... Um, why are businesses integral to making big change? I think it's because it makes sense for the economy, makes sense for the bottom line. If you look at renewable energy as a good example of good tech, we're in a position now where we can demonstrate that renewable energy is far, far cheaper than new coal. And so the argument for future energy is that we have to go renewable. We have to go with renewable with storage. And using that technology to create the kind of future that our kids can be proud of. Good answer. <laughs> and our sixth and final guest on Team Human representing green economics is WWF's Head of Food and Markets, Josh Bishop. <laughs> Hope he doesn't have an advantage. <laughs> so Josh, as you were an environmental economist in a previous life, why are markets important to consider when trying to drive change? What a silly question, Claire. I mean, we, we all we we the all live team, in a market. Not me. Yeah, yeah. We all live in a market economy, right? It's just a given. We also know that the market's a terrible reflection of things that we really care about. It, it ignores so much. Um, it mistreats some people. It overcompensates other people. Um, and yet, markets are just a they're a manifestation of what people want and the, the manifestation of the rules we set for ourselves. Um, if you don't like the way low-wage people are earning, set a minimum wage, right? If you want artists to make money from their creations, create copyright, right? If you want to um, drive technology um, on climate change, put a price on carbon. It's pretty straightforward. These are social institutions. These are human institutions. They drive technology. Technology follows. It's a handy tool, but it follows what human beings want. All right. Good answer. Good answer. Oh, 
All right, so introductions over. We'll get to the rules. The rules are pretty simple. Get the questions right, get points and win. Mm. Ah, pretty basic. Um, now, we have some buzzers. They're not great buzzers, sorry. Um, but let's have a test for Team Human. Y-E-S, yes. Yes. And for Team Technology. No, 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 no. Okay, <laughs> so we have our buzzers. All right, let the games begin. Okay, the first round is titled, How Well Do You Really Know 2050? So in this round, we're going to test our players' knowledge of just how bad things could get in 2050. I'm going to give you guys some predictions for life in 2050, all taken from very reputable sources. Sources are listed on the bottom for anyone who wants to know. And let's get into our first question. Okay. How much of the planet won't have been impacted by humans by 2050? Yes. This is multiple choice. Oh. <laughs> Hold your horses. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> They're eager, these ones. All right. We have 25%, 10% or 0% because we will have gotten our slimy mitts on all of it. No. I think that was no. Team technology. C. That's actually, inc- well, according to the data, it's actually right. 10%. So a little uh, bit. Oh, yeah, right. Sure. Too that. depressing. 10%. 10% that we won't have ruined. As All much right. as that, wow. Next question. How many humans are expected to be rolling around on the planet in 2050? Is it 12 billion, 10 billion, or 5 billion yes. because the rest will have been eaten by zombies? Yes. Oh, okay, uh, team human. It's Twelve. B, 10 billion. <gasps> Wait. <laughs> Is this a team? <laughs> Do you want to confer? Confer. We're conferring. You say so. I'm going to 12. It's incorrect. Oh. That's incorrect. Human fallibility. It is 10 billion. So according to modelling done by the UN, there'll be 10 billion of us, which was a bit scary because we were a pretty good job at destroying the planet when there was 9 billion. So, huh. All right, our next question is, how many humans are expected to... Oh, sorry. How much of the population is expected to live in cities by 2050? Is it A, half the population, B, two-thirds of the population, or C, only the top 1% because who can live in Sydney? Anyway, that was definitely Team Human. It's two-thirds. B. It is. Wow, well done. First point. That's right, yeah. Two, so, Jess, actually, this is a good question, good time for me to ask you a question. How does two-thirds of the population living in cities affect how you run a city? Potentially, it's fantastic from a sustainability perspective uh, because cities have the opportunity to be much cleaner, much greener and much more equitable places for people if we build them right. And um, local government and state government as well have a really important role to play in this because the impact that we can have is in what we build or the the rules we have around building efficiency, the materials we use, the way we do density and also what we buy. Um, So um, through procurement policies, sustainable procurement, renewable energy, the City of Sydney just committed to be 100% renewable right now. Um, We brought forward our... We... um, We brought forward our deadline six years um, to make that happen today. 
Um, and, um, and also through how we deal with waste and how we create a circular economy within our city. So potentially those two thirds of the population could be living in a really sustainable, inclusive um, and, and ex, you know, in beautiful cities. Um, but some, we're not building some of those even right here in Sydney. Well, moving on to waste, our next question is, uh, how much waste will be in our oceans by 2050? Is it A, 300,000 metric tonnes of plastic, B, 1 million metric tonnes of plastic, or C, plastic will outweigh the fish yeah. in the ocean? Oh, Team Human again. They're fast on their buzzers, I'm going to take a punt on this because I don't actually know. I think it's B. No. No. C. 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 I'm going to have to take B. Oh. I feel like I want to throw it over to Team Technology. What would you say? Got to be C, surely. It is, correct. I'm going to award them a point. Fish. Sorry, I didn't see the fish. Yeah, the fish. That's it. All right, next question. <laughs> Due to land clearing in New South Wales, what furry animal may become extinct by 2050? Is it... The bramble clay melamus. Apologies to that animal if I said it wrong. The koala or hipsters with beards yes. and man buns. <laughs> I said yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Team human. Unfortunately, it's the koala. It is. Correct. Although, yeah, the bramble clay melamus is already extinct and let's all hope that hipsters with man buns and beards are extinct by 2050. Okay. Beards are okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, next question. Australia's Great Barrier Reef um, will have lost much of its coral by 2050 at current warming rates. How much will it have lost? 100%, 75%, oh, none of it, because it's all just El Nino, right? No! Team Tech. I don't think it's any of them, it's 95%. I it, think. It is, actually. Yeah, you are correct, and I will award that a good point <laughs> for you. Uh, and actually, I w and I want to ask you a question on this, John. So, like, um, surely not having the Great Barrier Reef in its full glory will affect tourism and will affect businesses everywhere. Like, why aren't we doing more to kind of... Isn't there an economic reason to really tackle this? Look, there is an economic reason. We have, you know, as, as we just said... 95% of living coral will be gone by 2050 at current rates. And if you think about all the, from an economic standpoint, the last time I looked, there were 69,000 jobs totally dependent on the Great Barrier Reef. Think of the untold number of businesses that rely on that, not just in Queensland, but nationally, because it is such a tourism icon for Australia. So it makes, it's just one of the many good reasons why we need to act on climate change, why we need to switch to 100% renewable energy with storage, because we can tackle it. We're still going to have damage on the reef. We're already seeing it. If, we, if that doesn't spur us into action, nothing will. But it is critical that we do move to that 100% renewable future. Yep. Yep, agree. All right. Question six. So we all know our air quality is getting worse. How many people are expected to die per year from air pollution issues in 2050? Oh, sorry. One million, six million, or we will all be living in underwater cities because it will be so hot, so who cares? No, 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 no. Ah, team technology. Is it six million? It is. It is six million. That's the stat. 
Um, yeah, air pollution is, is killing a lot of people. And actually, what's quite funny is that um, there's actually a company in Australia who is bottling Australian air and selling it in India um, in cities that have very high air pollution so that people can use this air from their cars to their office. I'm not joking. It has 120 breaths in it um, because the air quality is actually pre predicted to take 10 years off someone's life. That's pretty... That's pretty crazy. Pretty, pretty crazy. shocking, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. How many internet-connected devices will there be in 2050? Oh. <laughs> Team uh, Tech, do you have this right? 100 million, 237 billion, or due to the zombies, there'll be no internet. <laughs> oh, Team Tech. B. B, you are correct. So, Teresa, with um, so many interconnected devices on our planet, are we just going to buckle under the sheer weight of all of this data? Uh, well, so th that's what I call a yes and no question. So, on the, on the one hand, uh, data has been around a lot. It's just what's happening now with all these connected devices is that there's a capacity to make some of that visible. The problem we have is that some of what is, most of what is made visible is what's easy to make visible and it's not necessarily what should be made visible. Uh, and so you end up having the so-called low-hanging fruit being what is, is counted. So how many Fitbit trackers here? Um, how accurate are your step counts? But it becomes a number that you can compare. So the actual quality of life measures and indicators get really hard to do. Um, the problem is it gets very seductive to think that I've got this device that is collecting stuff and data, data, data. I mean, I work with data, so I'm not going to say I don't like data. The, the yes part is that we could possibly groan under it because it's not just about having the data, it's, it's having the access to it so that the AI, the artificial intelligence, can do the computational work. And that's one reason that these devices are really becoming so powerful. We as humans can't, we have many qualities. I'm a human, I quite like some of my human qualities, but one thing I cannot do is calculate as fast as a computer. And so the computational capacity is something that really relies on being fed by that data. But if we're giving it crap data, when I worked in IR, garbage in, garbage out. The challenge we also have is around storage. Because if you're going to be working and processing this data, you have to be able to access it readily. So in a, a futurist sense, there's a really amazing project that I saw that just blew my mind that talked about using DNA technology to encode data. So you could take a truckload of data. So think about a data warehouse. Imagine, say, a bank having its data warehouse converted into one DNA strand that you can carry around. So, so that would have to be the way that we start to go if we're going to be able to have access to data and still be able to walk down the street. And that would use a lot less power as well. Oh, very interesting. Okay, so score check. Very, I've got a very tech solution here. Um, but at the end of round one, we have Team Human on one point yeah. and Team Technology on three points. Uh -oh. Can they claw back? Who knows? So it looks like we have a contest on our hands. We sure do. <laughs> Who will come out on top? Is it Team Human or Team Technology? In the next episode, we are going to continue with the second half of the game show, Playing for the Planet, da, da, da. <laughs> and find out what sort of story our future grandkids will have to tell us about the world we've left them. To learn more about WWF and Panda Labs, visit www.org.au forward slash Panda Labs. And if you want to tweet about this, hit us up. 
We're at WWF underscore Australia on Twitter. So why don't you let us know your thoughts about this episode and don't forget to subscribe to, rate and review the Greenhouse Sessions podcast.